0: welcome to the women who code podcast
1: if you have a very complex very deep neural network as example you need specific gpu-based systems at least to make the best of it women who
0: code talks tech is a segment that features experts in a specific field of technology sharing their knowledge on an in-depth and highly technical subject These talks are designed to both introduce advanced subjects and provide insight into the work being done in these fields. Right now, I'm really excited to introduce our next speaker, my friend and colleague, um, Zareen Reza, who's going to talk about mistakes to avoid as an AI practitioner in industry. So, a little bit about Zareen Zareen currently works as an AI research scientist in. Volta charging in Canada, where she takes delight in working at the intersection of high quality research, data science and applied machine learning to produce innovative machine learning solutions for EV charging stations. Aside from her role as an AI scientist, she also gets involved in many open source projects. zerina is also a leadership fellow at Women Who Code, where she leads the data science track in organizing free events, workshops, and building a community that helps women excel in STEM roles. And to top it all off, she likes to start her day with 10 minutes of yoga
1: and a cup of hot chocolate. So welcome, Zareen. Thank you so much, Anna, for the amazing introduction. Uh, I'm very excited to be here as a speaker. Um, So hello, everyone. Um, I'm Zareen. And as Anna mentioned, I'm working as an AI research scientist in uh, Volta Charging. Uh, before that, I worked as a data scientist for two years in another company. And before that, as an, uh, w- while I was in academia, I worked as a research assistant where we, <clears throat> my lab used to collaborate with um, some industrial partners to deploy our prototype models that we used to build uh, to their uh, platforms. So I have all these uh, different stages that taught me that um, there are a lot of things. That are different uh, from academia to move to the industry. So in academia, we we can have the coolest model, the state of the art model at our disposal. But we want if we, when we want to deploy it to the production or move it to the client's uh, premise, things gets more complicated, and there are a lot of restrictions, constraints that need to be taken care of. So today's talk is mostly about. Uh, sharing my experience, uh, some of the mistakes I did by myself and then learned uh, the hard way, and some of the things I learned by seeing others. So all these things are basically what I'm going to tell you today is uh, these are mistakes to avoid if you want to be an AI practitioner in the industry, especially if you are coming from the academia mindset. So let's get started. Uh, First of all, uh, the problem with today's AI solutions in the market is uh, quite acute. In a sense that around 90% of total machine learning models uh, that we build in, uh, in in a company or in a research lab, they don't make it to the production. So, in a- another way, in other words, it's the same as saying like one in ten of a data scientist's AI solutions end up being end up not being a part of uh real pro so one in ten of data scientists solutions uh end up being a part of product so nine of the data scientists solutions that means they they either get discarded or discontinued or uh they have to pivot so what why are what are the bottlenecks in this entire process why is this is the case so today i will highlight 12 mistakes so there can be more uh but these 12 mistakes I found like they are really crucial to avoid if you want to make a successful deployment to a production uh, of an AI-based solution. So let's get started with the first one. First mistake is considering that every data problem requires an AI ML solution. So in today's um, today's market, AI is a hype word. It's a buzzword. So Uh, Everyone is really hyped up to um, try some new algorithms. That's all the -the state-of-the-art algorithms and try to solve all the problems. So there is a a common saying in the AI world is that when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So when you have a hammer, when you know you have the AI skills, you have the resources in your team, you feel like you need to solve all the problems uh, through only an AI algorithm. But that's not necessarily true all the time so the thing is not every problem requires an ai solution uh, sometimes the rule-based algorithms are all are uh, much better than these complicated ai solutions for various reasons but it, it depends on the case itself uh, it depends on specific case uh, specific requirements there are uh, constraints all different things and ai solutions are not the uh the only solution to all the problems. We are still not there. Maybe one day we will get there where uh, an AI will be uh, as sentient as human and will be able to solve everything. But we are not there yet. So more what is more important here is that finding a practical and efficient solution, uh, which should be the goal. So please f- uh, focus on the practical part here because uh, Many of the AI algorithms, which are like all those very deep neural networks, they are not always very practical to use for real-world use cases. Uh, There could be memory inefficiency. There could be time complexity. The deep neural network may take forever to give you inference. However, uh, you need like an immediate response. So all these things that needs to be considered before deciding on an algorithm. And the goal shouldn't be like uh, let's attack all the problem with an AI algorithm the goal should be finding a practical and efficient the most efficient solution you find for your business use case so there are a few action items that uh, you can consider taking uh, in this case so first ask yourself this question ask your team this question are you trying to solve your business problem using the most effective method and also maximizing on the savings and profits if the any AI algorithm or any algorithm, whatever fits inside this question, uh, you are good to move forward with that. Then you also need to uh, decide this approach on case by case basis. So there is no free lunch in the AI field. So one algorithm that works for one type of problem uh, doesn't necessarily uh, need to work as well um, for other problems, even for similar problems sometimes. So we need to uh, decide what approach we need to take uh, on case by case basis. Also, uh, don't shy away from adopting non-AI solutions. This is really important. I like to stress on that more because in a practical um, a practical world, in real world, when you are uh, thinking from the product point of view, uh, it's it's very uh, tempting to talk about AI because when you are marketing your product, you want to somehow plug in that word, like we have an AI power solution. So that's really good for marketing. That creates the buzz. However, uh, if eventually uh, the product is not uh, working as expected, if it's not serving the customers that it was intended to, then all these things, it will slow down. It will die down eventually. Right? So it's better to uh, consider the algorithm. Uh, consider coming up with the solution itself instead of AI power or non AI power solution. So just think of it as what is the most efficient and most practical solution. And finally, uh, just don't buy into all the hype that's going on around AI. So I know uh, I'm saying this as an AI research scientist by myself, but that's why I'm I'm telling this to you that. There are a lot of problems uh, in today's day uh, that are that are so well, so efficient, uh, but still they don't use any AI solutions. So AI problems are really good for a certain type of problems, but they are not as good as some other traditional rule-based algorithms or other uh, you know uh, semi-automated uh, solutions that we have in practice today. So not everything has to be solved with AI. That's the bottom line. Mistake number two, domain knowledge can always be compensated by data science skills. Uh, this is, again, another um, misconception. So it's tempting to think like, like we can let the machine learning algorithm figure it by itself, the solution, all the things. But you will be surprised to know like, domain expertise and domain knowledge in data science is really crucial. It's even more important than other tech-related roles uh because of uh, varieties of reasons and for that domain knowledge must be pervasive throughout the data science methodology so starting from data collection data pre-processing till the model development and validation plugging in domain expertise will save a lot of your time and resources otherwise you will be spending uh, hours after hours cleaning those data processing those data because you have to figure everything by yourself Uh, But when you have a domain expertise, domain knowledge or a person with domain expertise, they can easily guide you and navigate you to the direction. Eventually, the data science skills, uh, the data scientists will be the people who will be working on that. But if they are guided or navigated in the right direction by some domain experts, that will save a lot of time and resources. They can help navigate the problem definition as well as example what type of problems that exist in that particular domain so if it's like a medical domain it's a finance domain legal domain the the domain expertise will have better understanding of the problem and what type of solutions they are looking for and they uh, can help really so much in cleaning and pre-processing the ugly data so in real world the data set is lot more different than the curated data we have in academia like all those open source database data sets The data we have in Kaggle they are really clean, pretty curated. but it's totally different case in uh, industrial uh, in industry in real world where the data set are really raw, ugly and sometimes the data set is exa- totally uh, not the data you need for your model. So there are a lot of different things, but you can overcome these challenges pretty quickly with the help of a domain expert. And finally, the domain expert can also help validate the results that your model are providing. So when your model are making predictions, domain expert can actually take a look and say if these results make sense or not. So you you will do your own validation analysis from data science uh, point of view. But from practical point of view, it will be the domain experts who will be able to tell you much quicker that, hey, this result looks good to me. This result doesn't look. Uh, quite there yet so what are the action items here uh again obviously try to include domain experts whenever possible in your pipeline run frequent check-ins with them uh, when you whenever you pass like a certain stage let's say you are done with the data pre-processing step uh, just uh do a check-in with the domain experts just run through them all these things if it makes sense uh, so and you can facilitate understanding of the clients need more by using domain experts so domain expert can actually talk to the client and better understand their need better understand their problem and finally uh, one important thing is data science skills and domain expertise can be mutually exclusive so it doesn't have to be like the data scientist uh, coming with the domain expertise it's not necessary the data scientists can be really good at uh, their data science skills their AI uh, modeling skills but the uh, it's not necessary for them to have the domain expertise as well, because sometimes it's really difficult to find this combination uh, all the time. And that's totally okay. Uh, they can be two different people, but they can work collaboratively collaboratively to overcome these challenges. Mistake number three is ignoring AI ethics, bias and privacy considerations. Now I will tell you, why this is really important? Why it's crucial to address these ethical and privacy concerns as early as possible uh, in the beginning of your model development, when you're defining problem, when you're defining data curation. Uh, why it's important to address them? So there are privacy, bias, inequality, safety, security, all those things that's the all these concerns are going around these days about AI solutions, especially if they are. Uh, in the fields of, you know, medical, finance, all those very sensitive uh, areas where uh, people don't tend to trust the um, AI solutions or algorithmic solutions as much as they trust a human uh, decision maker. So this is really important to um, think about ethical and privacy concerns, because All these trust issues, they are coming from there as well. So the AI models, they can be, they should not, should not be, uh, you know, uh, in favor or in against of a certain group. And if you neglect, neglect, neglect all these um, aspects before starting the model development, they can lead to significant financial brand reputation and human risk. So you can have eventually, like maybe at a later stage, you will have some financial uh, repercussions because of these things not handled before uh, your brand reputation can be in jeopardy and most of all most importantly uh, we are dealing with humans so all these AI algorithms they tend to serve human if they are not solving problems for a human rather uh, creating more problems for a subgroup or for, for a certain uh, problems then that's that fails the whole purpose of building AI solutions right? so it's really important to uh, address those issues as early as possible in the uh, development phase so some action items could be uh, to address this risk right from the data collection and curation when we are doing the data collection it's really important that the data is diverse enough to fit the problem fit the data that we that we will see in the real world so there are a lot of talks around that topic so i won't go too much into that detail uh, but You should also think through the possible ways the model can be exploited or used in favor of or against a subgroup. So this type of analysis, this type of brainstorming is really important to do, like how this model can be exploited, uh, if there are any risk of that or not. Also, if possible, run experiments to identify information leakage from model through reverse engineering. So there are a lot of experiments these days that shows that uh, even if you have, if you if you just make the trained model available to the public there are ways that you can actually reverse engineer. You can backtrack the weights from uh, AI models and come back to some identifiable information hidden in the data. So that could be pretty scary depending on uh, certain fields. So this is something that needs to be uh, taken care of, that needs to be thought of if possible. There are multiple tools to actually uh, validate all those things, uh, diagnose these problems. please try to leverage them as much as possible. Uh, Leverage the privacy-preserving AI tools where required. So there are tools like federated learning, differential privacy, all those things. Uh, So they're all out there, but you need to just make sure that you are incorporating them in the right uh, time for the right problems. Uh, Mistake number four is complex models are better than simpler models. So that's not necessarily true all the time, uh, because of several reasons. So, if you have heard about Occam, William Occam, so uh, he has a very famous uh, hypothesis, which is uh, famously known as Occam's Razor, that suggests that simpler models with fewer co- fewer coefficients would be preferred over complex models like ensembles. So, uh, basically, o- what Occam has Occam has to say is that. Uh, If you have similar uh, platforms, you have similar uh, parameters, similar hypotheses, then the one with the simpler parameters are better than the one with the complex uh, 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 complex parameters because because of different reasons. So I will tell you why. Uh, this is the case and why this is this is a general statement but this is very much true in today's machine learning development where state-of-the-art models are not always feasible for practical use cases so as example in uh current state-of-the-art models for uh, image classification or uh let's say all those generative arts right those transformers they are huge models with billions of parameters now uh big companies uh big research labs can afford to run those algorithms train those algorithms on their uh hundreds of gpus but that's not a practical um that's not practical to use for others for let's say small companies or even in your client's laptop right if you want to make a product that needs to run that uh big trained model uh, maybe on any of the edge devices that's not a practical solution because your client may not have those resources available so simpler models can uh, can also be easier to bug uh, easier to debug and run experiments faster so if you want to do a lot of trial and error in the beginning while you're developing the model uh, faster models simpler models can let you try out a lot of different things in a very short period of time. Whereas when you have a very large complex model, where uh, finishing of one training requires maybe five to six days, then it's really difficult for you to try out a lot of combinations because you are losing time. And finally, simpler models are much cheaper to deploy and scale uh, because of similar reasons. So complex models require more uh, computational resources, more uh, cost, so as opposed to simpler models you can just make like an api or the trained model also if you package it like a, if you package a random forest model you can deploy it in almost any edge devices or in almost any cloud servers but if you have a very complex very deep neural network as example you need specific gpu based systems at least to make the best of it so some action items there could we always start with a simpler model before before moving on to deep learning so uh, maybe you can start with linear regression or logistic regression or even try gradient boosting if you uh, are into if you think that you need more uh, a bit more complex models to tr- start with So you should first start with all those things because then you will get a better idea like why these models are not working and in what places we need to improve. Should we improve on the data or should we improve on the parameters, should we improve on the feature selections, all those things. So you will be better prepared when you are moving on to the deep learning models. And it will also reduce the number of experiments you need to do uh, because you already have some insights uh, about the problem. Also, have a baseline model to compare again so your first simpler model the simplest model could be actually used as a baseline model so when you are moving on to more complex models you can easily compare like how much improvement you have obtained through this by adding this additional uh complexity also try to avoid ensemble models so if you see the research papers there are a lot of solutions that they propose is there are all based on ensembling models. So when you ensemble multiple models and you take maybe the average of the predictions, they tend to perform much better than a single model for obvious reason because there are a lot of like multiple models are at work on the same problem. However, if you, so these are good for results. These are good for academic papers because you always pass the uh, state of the art result and you can set the new benchmark. However, if you want to deploy them into your uh, production. This is not really an efficient or practical way of deploying the solution because then you need, you, you not only need one model, you need to deploy maybe five different models. So the five different models need to parallelly make the predictions, and then you have to aggregate them in some way and then provide the inference. So you can see there are a lot of time complexity, there, memory complexity there, you need to. Basically, register all five models in your device before it starts making the prediction. So it's much different, much difficult than having only one model. So try to avoid ensemble models whenever possible. And also consider memory and time complexity requirements for inference. So training and inference are two different things in machine learning. So training, sometimes training your model can actually uh, be done on a more resource intensive platform like you have more gpus in your infrastructure you train your model there all those things then you package the model and you ship it for inference to another platform uh, let's say your client's platform your client's phone or your client's uh, own server so it's really important to know like Inference needs to be faster. Inference needs to be maybe CPU, CPU compatible. The, if your inference also requires like hundred GPUs run together, then it may not, it's a good sign that it's not a, it may not be an efficient solution to be deployed in the production. So you need to think of training and inference separately. Like what are the infrastructure requirements for. Training a model versus what are the infrastructure requirements for in tra- uh, making inference using that model? They can be different. A model can be lot much slower while training, but the model can be much faster during inference. So these are the things we can we need to take care of. Six mistake number five: Consider your AI solution as a black box. So this is a very common scenario. Common. Um, Saying in AI field that AI solutions are a black box; it's really difficult to uh, interpret the result, understand what's going on inside. All these things, these are really true. These are all true. However, when you, you're uh, you're transferring this model to a people to, to a set of people who are not as well versed in AI as uh, you know your data scientists the transparency and explainability, interpretability, all these things become really crucial to earn their trust. for that reason we need to set our mindset to so that we transition from black box to glass box modeling so glass box by glass box i mean we need to do some peeking we have to peek inside the model uh, what's going on as much as possible there are always uh, there will be like some things that are still really difficult to interpret especially if there are really complex models, uh, deep neural networks there, sometimes it gets really hard to understand why this model came up with this prediction uh, over another one. But still, there are a lot of tools these days, there are a lot of research, it's a very active uh, area of research, explainability in AI. So, please try to Leverage those tools as much as possible, depending on your problem, depending on your model. So explainability explainability goes a long way to build trust on AI made decisions. So your clients, your partners, your people will trust the AI made decisions more if they know how the model is coming up with the solution, right? So this is really crucial to even sell your model. Finally, interpretability of result helps debug and identify potential harms as well. So this is also important. So when you have a model which is totally black box, you have no idea what's happening inside. You just know that some inputs are going in, some outputs are coming out, but you don't know what's happening inside. So when you are not getting the expected outputs, it's really difficult to debug and understand why, like what is going wrong there, and what are the things that needs to be fixed. So if you have some interpret- interpretability analysis of the results, then it makes it also much easier to debug and uh, fix that model. Also, it ensures ethical decision making. So uh, as I was talking about ethical ethics and bias uh, in the previous slide, so this also ensures that the model is taking ethical decisions. It's not being biased towards a certain group or certain uh, scenario. So what are some action items? Use model explainability tools like line, SHAP. Etc. Uh, as much as possible. There are a lot of libraries these days. They're, these two are pretty commonly used, but there are a few others that's coming out. They're pretty good uh, in terms of they give you some way of checking the feature importance, the feature correlation uh, with the prediction, and all those things, a lot of other things. So try to leverage them as much as possible then decompose a complex model into simpler segments. So again, having a simpler model will come handy uh, to uh, do this exp- uh, uh, explainability uh, analysis. So if you have a very big deep, uh, deep neural network, very big AI model, try to decompose them into simpler models so it's easier to debug, it's, it's easier to analyze, it, analyze or interpret their results also put constraints on the model to add a new level of insight, maybe restrict the model at first so that it doesn't go to uh, multiple directions so that you, your, your horizon gets enclosed by certain restrictions. So you will be, you don't have to try all the combinations to come to analyze the prediction. So you, you will have less parameters to deal with. So try to constrain the model at first to see how the model performs at the very restricted scenario. Also bo- run both quantitative and qualitative analysis of the predictions. So quantitative analysis is basically doing precision recall curve, AUC curve, doing all those analysis if the model is performing well on the positive classes over the negative classes, all these things. But also we we can do qualitative analysis of predictions where we kind of manually go through each prediction to reason ourselves, like what, what the model is learning actually, is it learning really something useful or it's memorizing it's being overfitted, all these things. So it's important to run both quantitative and qualitative analysis of predictions. Stick number six is emphasize model-centric AI over data-centric AI. So if you follow Andrew Ng, who is a pretty known uh, figure in the AI community, he is advocating for data-centric AI uh, these days quite a lot. So what data-centric AI means is that data-centric AI requires a heavier focus on tuning data rather than tuning models. So uh, we spend a lot of time doing trial and error, hyperparameter tuning, all these things to come up with the best model to uh, uh, make the model learn the um, most useful things. However, uh, what Andrew has to say is that most core AI models are already well tested and avali- available to use. So. Uh, Maybe it's not always worth the effort to put a lot of uh, uh, resources, a lot of time in coming up with a new algorithm. Uh, We don't always need to reinvent the wheel. Sometimes we can just use these uh, off-the-shelf AI models, and they may work just fine for your problem. So instead of spending a lot of time tuning those neural networks and tweaking hyperparameters, uh, you can spend more time on tuning the data because that's where you can improve a lot. So it can also help reduce the small data problems as well. If you don't have a lot of data for your problem, which is very common in real world, so if you don't have that, uh, data-centric AI or tuning your uh, uh, data can really help uh, coming up with a very good model. So what are some action items? Try to figure out the ideal set of data required for the problem so when you are defining the problem what is the ideal set of data that you need first define that you you may or may not have the exact set of uh, ideal data set but that's fine but you know like what's our what is our expectation what you need uh, ideally check data quality to detect human error in curation and labeling so data are they at the first place they are labeled by human they are curated by humans so the most of the errors comes from that stage. So it's really important to do some uh, quality checking of the data uh, while it's coming. Also, collaborate with domain experts and uh, data scientists to improve the data quality. So here, again, the domain expertise can really help. Uh, they can collaborate with the data scientists to improve the data quality, uh, f- identify the false labels, all these things. Also. Try to leverage the pre-trained models where needed. There are a lot of pre-trained models available open source for you to use to try with. So let's maybe just uh, first try or start with them. Focus on the data first and try with the -the off-the-shelf models. If they don't work, then focus on the model tuning. Uh, Number seven treat AI model development projects same as software development projects. This is a major mistake I feel, and I have seen seen this mistake being done firsthand and what the repercussions were. So software engineering and machine learning are different in their execution. So software developers automate tasks by writing programs, whereas machine learning or computer science uh, or machine learning uh, engineers or data scientists they try to uh, make the computer find the program that fits to the data. So this there are like, you can see the in machine learning, it entails a lot of exploration, experimentation, and uncertainty. And it also needs to be robust to variability and dynamic uh, conditions as well. So it has a lot of uncertainty in, um, in its, um, nature. So, what are the action items? So while planning the model development, uh, keep the buffer for uncertainty. Keep certain amount of buffer that some things go, can go wrong. And also allocate time and resources for doing research. So. Uh, Encourage your data scientists, AI scientists to do some research because uh, they will come up, they will know what is the uh, current state-of-the-art model, what is working for a certain type of problems, what is not. So please allocate time and resources for them to do some research. Also, be prepared for failed experiments and inconclusive outcomes because this is very uh, normal. It can happen in machine learning. It's, it, it is another difference from software engineering where you, all the problem, the problem, the Uh, requirements all are well-defined, while in machine learning they are not always. So uh, let's be prepared for that. Also, be prepared to pivot as new findings surface. So in machine learning, as there are a lot of uncertainties, there are a lot of variabilities, uh, things can go wrong or things can go uh, the way you're not expecting. So it's always, Always the best to prepare to pivot whenever possible. So instead of pushing on a certain model for more and more accuracy, you, you can think, you can take a few steps back and think, okay, why it's not working. Maybe this is not the right approach at all. Maybe something we need we need to try something else. So try to pivot as quickly as possible. And finally, mistake number eight: not adopting test-driven development in data science where required. What does that mean? So Test-driven data science, this concept is getting quite popular these days. This is a skill data scientists and machine learning engineers can adopt from the software developers. So TDD system, it has three stages, red, green, and refactoring, where in uh, red, you write a test case that fails. In green, you write the code that passes that test. And in refactoring, you try to get rid of all the redundancies. You try to modularize, clean your code, make the code reusable, all these things. So writing these test cases actually forces you to think about what scenarios users might create later on, what type of variations we can expect in the input data. It also helps uh, modularize your code base for using functions and for future expansions. So if there's a possibility, like in future, you, uh, your model needs to be extended for a certain type of features, for a certain type of data set, this kind of TDD-based system will really help you do that. Some action items could be break the AI pipeline into smaller modules, write test cases for modules covering data variation, exception handling, anomaly detection, all these usual things. Have have your codes reviewed by your fellow, fellow data scientists and encourage collaborative coding and sharing of ideas among them. The last two steps are really important. It's very normal for data scientists to work in their silo, work on uh, projects as, a, as an individual, as a, as a only person assigned to that problem. But doing code reviews like software development, doing machine learning code reviews can, is really, really helpful. It helps the data scientists to think out of the box, also think more clearly. So this kind of idea sharing and code review, it's very important now. Uh, I know we have already covered eight of the mistakes. There are four more because because I told there will be 12. So I won't go on too much detail in the uh, last four, but I will just uh, skim through them. Basically, mistake number nine could be skipping the proof of concept and MVP stage to directly jump onto the production. Mistake number 10 is not defining the infrastructure requirements before and during model development. I kind of touched this little bit before when I was talking about the, what are the inference, what are the infrastructure required for inference on the client side? This is really important. Number 11 is moving on to production before pilot run and expert evaluation. And number 12 is no plan for systematic model monitoring. This is very important because if you don't monitor your model, there will be data drift, model drift, uh, while the model is in production. So if there is no mechanism to co- for continuous monitoring of your model, uh, you will not know when the model has started deviating from its original performance, when it's starting giving uh, anomalous results. So this is also very important. So just as a recap, every data problem doesn't require an AI ML solution. Domain knowledge cannot always be compensated by data science skills. Don't ignore AI ethics, bias, and privacy considerations. Complex models are not always better than simpler models. Try not to consider AI solutions as a black box. Emphasize model-centric AI as well as data-centric AI. Continuing, don't treat AI model development projects same as software development projects. Try adopting test-driven development in data science where required. Don't skip POC and MVP stage production define infrastructure requirements before or during model development, Uh, don't move to production before pilot, and have some plan for systematic model training. So that was all from me. Thank you for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com, You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash Women Who Code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment